It has stood the test of time. God's book, the Bible, still relevant in today's complex world. It is written, sharing messages of hope around the world. Have you ever wondered why our Earth is not covered by oceans of oxygen? Now, if you were paying attention in chemistry class, and I, I know it may have been hard for some of us to pay attention, but it probably crossed your mind at some point. In our atmosphere, the oxygen molecule composed of two oxygen atoms. Now, I know I'm getting a little technical, but stay with me. When those two oxygen atoms are joined together, it's a gas. But if you put two hydrogen atoms together with an oxygen atom, of course you get liquid water, H2O. The water molecule is much lighter than the oxygen molecule. Now, why is the heavier molecule a gas and the lighter molecule water? How would our world be different if there were no liquid water? To help me answer those questions and their implication on faith, I'm joined today by Dr. Tim Standish. Dr. Standish, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you for letting me come. You know, Dr. Standish, I was, uh, I was talking about things that were getting me a little bit outside the realm of my expertise. You are an expert in this area of water because, of course, you are a biologist. You hold a Ph.D. in environmental biology and public policy. Uh, you have a master's in biology, uh, an undergraduate degree, a bachelor's of science in zoology, and you're the senior scientist at the Geoscience Research Institute. Now, Dr. Standish, just to help our audience get a little more familiar with you, what do you do on a daily basis for the Geoscience Research Institute? The great thing about working where I work is that every day is different. Some days I come in and I, I write for much of the day. There are always constant interruptions and things like that. Yes. But I work with graduate students uh, who, are, who are working on graduate degrees in, in the sciences. I uh, obviously correspond with people. I have a laboratory. Uh, on a good day, I get to do some work in there. Yes. And um, then, of course, there's a lot of work outside of the office uh, where we travel, um, teach classes, uh, give presentations at various uh, kinds of meetings. Every day is different. Well, and you, uh, you work in a place where every day is different. The Geoscience Research Institute, just to help folks, what is it dedicated to? What's kind of the mission of the Geoscience Research Institute? The reason for the Institute to exist is to explore the relationship between science and faith. What is, what is a good, productive, reasonable understanding of the biblical record of history and the current claims of science? Um, most of the time, there are, no, there are no tensions there. You know, the, the Bible talks about a place called Jerusalem. Hey, we can go and see Jerusalem, yes. and there it is. You know, lots of things like that. Um, but there are these occasional areas where there's some kind of tension. 
really interested in those. You know, how might those tensions be resolved? How can they legitimately be resolved? Where might there be something new that we need to find out? Uh, those are questions that we ask. And sometimes if we can come up with, uh, with one that we might be able to address, we may actually go out and work on doing science to see whether uh, a given way of resolving things might in fact uh, be, a, be a, a possibility. Now that sounds all very interesting. And if someone wanted to maybe read more about your work or some of the work of the Geoscience Research Institute, where would they find information? Probably the best place to start is our website, which is www.grista.org. Okay. And um, uh, so grista.org. Uh, I encourage people also to um, you know, get, a, uh, get onto our Facebook page. Um, you can just do that by looking for Geoscience Research Institute. And uh, there's constantly changing information there. On the, on the web site itself, we have a constant news feed where we put up links to articles, not necessarily articles that we all agree with, okay. but articles uh, that are coming out in the literature that address these issues that we're interested in in some way. Very good. Now, we've opened, we've talked about water, and uh, I'm sure someone might be wondering, what does water have to do with faith? But let's just talk about water, because we're going to get there. So, so if you're watching, just hang on. You're, we're going we're gonna to tie this into the biblical faith. What makes water so different than other molecules? Water is almost like a miracle. It's a very unique kind of molecule. Um, we, we already talked about how it's a relatively small, light molecule, but it exists as a liquid at room temperature. Now, the interesting thing is there are not many things that actually do exist as liquids at room temperature. Um, water is obviously the big one. Yes. There are certain oils, but oils are big molecules. Okay. Water's tiny. Yes. Um, some alcohols, um, ethanol and, um, and methanol and, and these, they are liquids at room temperature, but they're significantly heavier also than water itself. But things that are liquids at room temperature are kind of unusual. So that's one special thing about water. And the, and the big question is why? Yes. Why is that? It's because water is a polar molecule. What that means is it's got an area that is a little bit more negative on it with a little bit of a negative charge and it has slightly positive charges out where the where the hydrogen atoms are on the molecule. And because of that, the positive and negative charges attract one another. And so the water molecules stick together and they remain a liquid at room temperature as opposed to pretty much anything else that is, is you know, that kind of molecular weight. But the fact that it's polar then means that water has some other really interesting characteristics to it. Um, have you ever tried dissolving salt in, in cooking oil? Uh, it doesn't work very no, well. No, it just doesn't happen no. at all. No. You know, 
water will dissolve all kinds of different things. Sometimes people call it a universal solvent. Yes. It isn't truly universal, but because there are things, obviously, that you can't dissolve in water. But it is amazing the way that it can dissolve all kinds of different um, uh, ions like salt. Yes. Uh, it can dissolve um, uh, alcohols. It can dissolve sugars. It can just... Tons of stuff, which is really useful for living things. Yes. Uh, because those are the sorts of things that we need to move around in our bodies. Well, we can use water to move things like salt and sugar and so on around inside our bodies because our bodies are made primarily of water. Yes. When we, when we talk about living things, frequently we get obsessed with, with carbon, and carbon-containing molecules. Yes. But water, when you weigh yourself, it's mostly water. Um, now, obviously, there are other things that weigh something in you. Sure, sure. But um, uh, if, if, if we were to dry ourselves out, we would lose a huge amount of weight. Yes. Lose, losing water is the quickest way to lose weight for a human being. Yes. Don't do it. No, no. <laughs> because you need that water. <laughs> but... Um, uh, so, so that's one other thing about water. Um, another amazing thing about water, in fact, some people have contended that life might not be possible on Earth because of this one property, and that is that water, when it freezes, expands. Yes. Now, most things, the colder they get, the more they shrink. But water gets cold and then it gets a little bit bigger. And as a consequence of that, ice, which is frozen water, floats Yes. in water. Yes. The cool thing about that is that it means that life can survive underneath a layer of ice. Imagine if ice froze at the surface and fell down to the bottom of a lake. Mm-hmm. Well, then the bottom of the lake would be frozen and it would unthaw very, very, very slowly. The next time a winter came around, more ice would freeze and fall down to the bottom of the lake. And of course, if you had fish trying to live in this lake, there'd be ice falling down all the time and the water would be getting shallower and shallower and shallower as the bottom of the lake froze. And in addition to that, here in Canada, you would have no ice skating yes. possible. Yeah, you, 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 you might be able to ski on the water um, if you have a, if you have a, a boat, but, uh, but there'd be no, no ice skating. By the way, because of this property that water has, ice skating wouldn't be possible either, even if you had the ice out on dry land. And the reason for that is that when the skate goes you know, over the surface of the ice, it exerts a lot of pressure and it squeezes it down and the water, it, it actually melts underneath the skate. That's why it slides so nicely. So there are lots of these amazing properties that water has. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, and you are, of course, in Canada, I yeah. think of Newfoundland and the amazing icebergs uh, that, and, and these icebergs uh, often the size uh, and sometimes even larger in, in in not necessarily in height but in mass to some of these skyscrapers in Toronto and Vancouver 
you see these amazing icebergs, but they are floating on the water. Yeah. It's uh, profound. And water, you know, I think of my own experience with water. It's an amazing thing. Water is required for us to live. We have to drink water. We have to be hydrated. But water is actually also very powerful. And you talk about this, it, it, you can't really separate. You know, you can't squeeze water and separate water from water. One time I did what you're not supposed to do. I drove my car on a road that was covered in water. Oh, yeah. And it was deeper than I thought it was. It always is, isn't it? <laughs> yes. And the water was sucked into the intake and it actually bent the piston uh, in my vehicle. And it's an amazing thing. This piston is not some, you know, the size of my pen here. This piston is, is a huge metal object. And when it went to hit the water, the water was so powerful that it, would, it wouldn't give. It's so powerful that the metal gave way. Yeah. So let's just ask the question, what would our earth look like? What would life on earth be like if there were no water? I'm a biologist. I can't imagine life without water. Um, it's, it's just one of those perfect things about life. And, uh, well, uh, that the, the, the life sort of seems to, to, to require to exist. I mean, we, we know what things are like when water isn't present because there's nothing living there. No. Um, the Atacama Desert is one of the driest spots on Earth, if not the driest spot on Earth. When you go there, there are no plants. And because there are no plants, there are no animals. It is just barren. So without water, uh, you know, the, the Earth does the experiment for us. We don't really have to think about it too hard. No water, no life. It's fascinating to me that in the biblical creation account, the very first thing that the Bible says about the earth is water. Yes. The Spirit of God moves on the face of the water at yes. the beginning. And then God creates light, right? Yes. But yeah, water is the first thing that's mentioned there. And then if you look at the first few days there, you can see that God is doing things with water yes. to prepare the earth for life. Um, I, 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 it's so fundamental. It, it, it's one of the things actually that impresses me about the biblical creation account. It makes so much sense. Yeah. Imagine if God had decided to, I don't know, um, create the giraffes first. Yes. Um, the giraffes would have just drowned. Um, the earth had to be prepared. There needed to be an atmosphere. There needed to be water in the right place. Not everywhere, and yet enough in the places that it needed to be. Um, God separates the waters below from the waters above them yes. and creates the atmosphere. Um, that's sort of, you know, another step in the right direction. God separates the land from the water. And, um, and if you didn't have that situation, you would run into all kinds of interesting things that have to do with the properties of water. They, the, the, um, 
if, if you don't have both land and water, you probably would have huge trouble with any kind of significant life, let's put it that way, any kind of, you know, organisms like the, the kind that we observe around us, dogs, cats, humans, uh, possibly, possibly even um, big fish. Yes. And so maybe that, le- and, and it's an amazing thing because we've talked many times about this issue of design, plan, a designer, a planner. So God clearly had a plan by putting, yeah. so why or how does water make abundant life possible? And, and abundant life, by the way, that from my understanding as a, as a person not involved in science, but you read, like for example, after some of these tsunamis, we're reading about scientists discovering life that we never knew existed out of the depths of the water. So how does water make abundant life so possible? Yeah, you know, I, I, if I was wearing a watch, I'd be looking at it and asking how long this program is. This is something that we could literally spend days talking about. Yes. So let's talk about just one or two things that people might not be familiar with. Okay. Um, because, yes, it's just huge. Yes. We've already mentioned that water is fantastic for moving nutrients around. Okay. Um, and for dissolving things. So you have to have water to uh, move nutrients around within bodies and also within the oceans and so on as, as, as well. But it does a lot more than, than, than just move things. It also is necessary for the proteins that our bodies are made out of to have the correct shape so that they can do the jobs that, that they do. They have to be dissolved in water or they simply don't function. Okay. Now, a lot of people are familiar with uh, discussions about something called global warming. Yes. Yeah. And they know that this has something to do with carbon dioxide and the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is actually a very tiny proportion of the atmosphere. Why is that? Because carbon dioxide... While we need it in the atmosphere, if there's too much, that's going to be a problem for us. Carbon dioxide dissolves in water and it gets sequestered there in the oceans. Now, we're still struggling to understand all the dynamics of this. Sure. It's a very interesting thing. But there's actually a three-way relationship, it turns out, between land, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and water in the oceans. And you have to have all those three working together to maintain the right amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Wow. And obviously carbon dioxide is what plants use to make organic molecules that animals eat. So we wouldn't exist if the big oceans weren't out there holding onto that carbon dioxide, releasing it back into the atmosphere, but also soaking up carbon dioxide um, and there, there are other mechanisms that are involved in this too. It's a big, complicated, cool thing. And um, it's yeah. a fascinating thing, Dr. Standish. So what you're saying is that God had a plan. Yes. The, 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 the vastness of the oceans is required to keep, uh, and maybe I'm not using the right term here, the equilibrium of actually life on this earth. 
yes, these big global cycles that, keep, that, that make life possible depend on the fact that our Earth has not just a little bit of water, it requires huge amounts of water, which is what we have in the oceans themselves. Um, on the subject of the oceans, um, we talked about heating and yes. cooling with water a little bit. One of the great things about water is it soaks up huge amounts of heat and it can release huge amounts of heat. So what happens is there are these huge ocean currents that soak up heat in the equatorial regions and then take that heat south or north from the equator. And they release that heat, making these really big habitable zones yes. on the face of the earth. All kinds of stuff. Water is, it's a miracle. And you know, it's a very interesting thing now. We're talking about, and we could spend, as you've said, volumes of shows talking about this miracle of water. But as I'm thinking about some of the things you're talking about, the carrying of nutrients, the carrying of heat and cooling, uh, the just really how much water is, and maybe I'm using too strong of a word, is required for life to even exist. It's very interesting to me. Jesus is called in the Bible the water of life. Yeah. Now, we could have a theological discussion on that, but why do you think Jesus is referred to as the water of life? Because life is not really possible without him. Certainly not a full life, in, at least in my experience. Uh, Jesus is the life giver. Jesus Christ is our creator and our redeemer. So he's the source of life. And so water serves as a fabulous metaphor um, for the life-giving characteristic that Jesus um, exhibited. And you know, it's interesting. Jesus says uh, in several places that he came to give life, but he came to give life more abundantly. And so tying it into this illustration or metaphor of water, I think of a garden. You know, you can grow a garden or let's make it even, let's make it very applicable to our folks here in Canada. I think of the Okanagan Valley in, in British Columbia. A beautiful place. Soil that is, has a lot of nutrients, but they have a very, a very distinct problem there. It's an arid place. It's dry. And so if you can bring water in, they tell me that you can grow anything there. And I can tell you by experience, they grow some of the best cherries that I've ever tasted before. Ooh. I'll have to visit it. Yes, you need yeah. to go and visit uh, some of our friends there in Kelowna and other places there. So when Jesus talks about himself being the water, the water of life, the life giver, giving life more abundantly, it is in the same way that water, land that is nutrient rich, without water, nothing will grow. Dr. Standish, maybe comment a little bit about this issue of water and the spiritual life and Jesus as that water. You know, when you were talking, I was thinking about Jesus 
meeting the woman at the well. Yes. And the offer that he made to her. Um, he would give her water that would be a fountain of life springing up inside her. This offer of, of water, the water of life that Jesus is giving, is the offer of eternal life. I'm thinking about the ways in which um, we ourselves interact with water. You know, water cleans us. Without water, we die. Without Jesus, we will die. Yes. With him, we live. Um, water cleans us. Jesus cleans us. He changes us into something different than we were. I have a dog, actually. I have two dogs. They're different creatures after you've given them a bath. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, we are different creatures when we're cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But remember, blood is mostly water. Yes. And I tell you, Dr. Standish, it's hard to believe that we're out of time and we could just continue this discussion onward. But a powerful thought, the water molecule, one of the lighter molecules, yet one of the most powerful molecules that exists on this earth. And in the same way, Jesus, Jesus, who lightens our burdens, yet one of the most powerful things in that he cleanses us and makes us a new creation. Dr. Standish, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for water and not just the water on this earth. We thank you for the water of life, your son Jesus, who makes us a new creation. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Dr. Standish, what an exciting conversation about water. Now, you've been part of a project producing a film, Living Waters. Tell us about it. Well, that's right. I was very privileged to be an associate producer on this uh, documentary film about dolphins, whales, salmon, uh, and turtles looking at the design in these creatures. It's beautiful. It's compelling. It's just amazing. And... I encourage anybody who can to see it. Dear friend, if you would like to get a copy of the film Living Waters, for any size donation, you will receive your own copy. In addition to that, I'd like to offer for free a DVD of this program that Dr. Standish and I have done together. Here is the information that you need to receive today's offers. To request today's offer, just log on to www.itiswrittencanada.ca. That's www.itiswrittencanada.ca and select the TV program tab. For Canadian viewers, the offer will be sent free and postage paid. For viewers outside of Canada, shipping charges will apply. If you prefer, you may call toll-free at 1-888-CALL-IIW. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Call any time. Lines are open 24 hours daily. That's 1-888-CALL-IIW. Or if you wish, you may write to us at It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H 7V4. And thank you for your prayer requests and your generous financial support. 
That's It Is Written, Box 2010, Oshawa, Ontario, L1H7V4. Dr. Stanis, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I look forward to being with the living waters. Absolutely. And friend, I want to thank you for watching. I want to encourage you to join us again next week where we'll discuss more about Jesus, the master designer. Until then, remember, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God.